the Bitterfly Podcast. Knowledge is food, bitches. Eat up. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bitterfly Podcast. Today we're talking to Taylor Stafford. She is a sexologist in the making, according to her Instagram <laughs> <Fair>. profile. <laughs> She's also the founder of Women Against Taboo Nonprofit Foundation, as well as the host of the podcast Taboo Talk. So welcome, Taylor. How's it going? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I rarely get to be on other people's podcasts. Yeah, this <laughs> so is rad. Exciting. And you don't have to do any of the editing and you right? don't have to like do any planning besides just to be just, here. Just give you the content and then dip out. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's great. So you guys, if you check her out, check her out on Instagram at I am Taylor Stafford. Yep. Um, this, this chick reviews a lot of things. Sex toys, diva cups. Um, you know, you call yourself a sexologist in the making. So, like, why are you not already a sexologist, I guess? Because uh, there's a lot of school and I am a young little girl. <laughs> no. Um, I So, right now I'm a nurse. Um, and I plan to go back to get my doctorate in nursing which is three years and then human sexuality PhD, which is another four years. And then after that, I would be considered a sexologist. So I have about seven more years left of school. Damn. Okay. I see. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's going to take a lot of motivation and drive, but it's an interesting (laughs) topic, right? Yeah, for sure. And I love it. So I'm excited. That's awesome. So do you want to just like start off by telling uh, me and the listeners, how did you get into this talk taboo women against taboo (laughs) foundation like your interests you know you're a pediatric psych nurse Mm -hmm. yeah so in college I when I was in pre-nursing doing all my prerequisites for the nursing program um, I was working at a gynecology office it was actually one of uh, a girl in my sorority it's her mom that owns the practice And so through that practice, I met a nurse practitioner named Sherry Aiken, and she's also, so she's a gynecology nurse practitioner, and she's also a sex therapist. So I kind of just got thrown into it um, and started shadowing Sherry and was just super interested in everything that she was doing and like the private practice I was working for was doing. So um, as I looked more into it, I started volunteering at domestic violence organizations and uh, anti-trafficking organization. And then uh, because I was like Sherry's little pupil and was just learning so many things, uh, every so many people in my sorority would like ask me questions about birth control or like uh, painful intercourse or all the things. And so I, if I didn't have the answer, then I would just ask Sherry. So I ended up starting a sex education blog. So I did that for a while that got pretty popular at my school at university of university of Nevada, Reno. And then I started speaking at my school for like sex education events and weeks. And, um, cause I, started minoring in um, uh, human sexuality development. So then I kind of just like got thrown into it. I started doing a lot of projects. um, And as I started doing more projects and like getting into it with the community, um, I decided to make it into a nonprofit. 
So then I was speaking at other schools around the country and just kind of started from there. So it all really started as me just being an interest in shadowing someone who knew a whole hell of a lot more than I did. <laughs> Interesting. So now you're in this like realm of you're like passionate about teaching sexual education to people. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you do that as a nurse as well with like young kids? Yeah. So I was working at Seattle Children's. So my patients um, were anywhere between age five and 17. Uh, and so I'm constantly doing sex education anytime I'm working with kids, anyone, honestly. Um, but right now I'm working with teenagers, so 12 to 17. And so it's a lot more fun. Uh, they have a lot more questions about their body. And um, I'm doing some like relationship therapy as well. I'm just like navigating what healthy relationships look like and how to be assertive and how do you know if someone wants it and how to like make conversations open so someone can say no if they feel they want to just like stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I work in psych. So a lot of my kids have um, high risk sexual behaviors. They've also have PTSD from sexual abuse in the past, um, harassment. So they, uh, they're in it and they're also teenagers. So they all like to put their private parts everywhere. What's a like funny question that you get from young people about their bodies? Um, they always, I don't know if it's funny, but every single one of my patients will ask me, how do I get birth control without telling my parents? <laughs> every single time. How do I get plan B? I had that question too. <laughs> Did it, didn't we all? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean like teaching young kids consent, super important. They're just like, yeah, yeah. that like touching yourself is okay. You know, I feel like yeah. masturbation is a weird one. I know. Well, they always ask me because we'll talk about like, they'll usually come in and be like, okay, what do I do with birth control? Or he came in me last night and I skipped my birth control pill. I need plan B <laughs> and I can't tell my mom and it's $50 at the store. So where do I get it? So we usually like start talking about that. And then after we get all like the, you know, the boring stuff in order, then I'm like, so how was it though? <laughs> Uh, was was it great did you like it were you turned on what did you learn and they're like what no one ever asked me this I'm like it's important did you have fun at least fuck yeah <laughs> you have to go through all this <laughs> shit after I hope you had fun <laughs> yeah hope it was worth it oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> so you started women against taboo in 2017 right mm-hmm. so what was the well I guess first we'll say like tell us the mission Like, what is the point of this nonprofit? What do you do in the community? Yeah, so it's kind of changed a little bit over the past three years. Um, One of our big changes was I started it in Nevada. So Mm -hmm. in Reno, where I was going to school. Um, And their needs in Reno are different than Seattle. So they have a lot less resources. They have a lot more trafficking. Um, they have a lot more low socioeconomic status. A lot a lower, um, a lot more low um, educated population. So the big thing that they needed there was parent education about kids and trafficking, and they also needed um, healthcare worker education on how to spot trafficking, because. Oh. Um, almost 100% of trafficked victims will be in a hospital or see a healthcare provider at some point while they're trafficked. 
and barely any of them are identified. So that was one of our huge things as I was going into nursing. So I made my nursing practicum projects about this and it was about implementing screening tools in ERs, um, how to like look for signs and health or um, healthcare worker education on how to spot a trafficking victim, how to best question a victim, how to best go about um, the interview process, like taking them away from um, the person that brought them in so that they're interviewed separately, like all, all of the things. So I started um, educating in Reno, the nursing school, as well as other like healthcare professionals. Can you share with us some of the signs real quick? Like, yeah, how do you tell, you know? Yeah. So, um, a big sign is, well, risk factors, I guess, if you want to like already look at risk factors, low socioeconomic, past history of abuse. So a lot of kids um, run away from their families to get away from abusive situations, which makes okay. them a whole hell of a lot vulnerable because they don't have a safe place to go. Yeah. So abuse in the past, any, um, a ton of running, running away behaviors, um, having contact with people way older than them. Um being spotted at hotel rooms or gas stations. Okay. So young girls, yeah. most likely. Um, also, L any LGBTQ um, kids are also at higher risk because they're more likely to be rejected from their family and society. Um, and then as well as unexplained bruising. So if you bring, like if a kid comes into the ER, a lot of times if they are trafficked, they'll have unexplained bruising um, throughout their body from being beat. They sometimes have vaginal infections that are like, you know, chlamydia that <laughs> I, I say like actually the sex education that you, you got in like high school was like, this is what you'll look like if you have chlamydia. And you're like, bitch, I've never seen chlamydia that looks like that. Yeah. It's like, that's what their chlamydia looks like because oh, okay. they go so long and they never get care of themselves because because they're, you know, psychologically captive. And so, um, yeah, those are some of the signs also coming in with like being unable to explain what happened, where they're living, um, you know, lying, not keeping their story straight. Also, like if they have a friend that's older than them or an uncle or even a, even a aunt that's older than them that will not let them be interviewed without them yeah that's really really common that seems um, sketchy yeah so those are all just like some things that we like teach people and you can hear all those things all you want but to me people learn by seeing and being able to like put hands on so like we'll um react like take scenarios and act out scenarios to like so that people can better see like what they're looking for because that can okay. be difficult um, yeah. So you implement, you were like teaching different like groups of people how to like tell the signs in Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just a lot of other like sex education for like uh, fraternities and sororities about like um, date rape and um, even like teaching boys about like what is female anatomy. So I'm like, yeah, let's start off with trafficking <laughs> and we'll end with what fluid is in squirt, you know? <laughs> so I like to do everything because I'm like, it needs to be serious, but it also needs to be fun. So yeah. Yeah. So we started educating. Um, yeah. In Reno. And then when we moved to Seattle, there's a lot more resources here. Um, I tried to get into schools in Reno and Seattle. It's such a bust. Um, 
so that's been difficult. So it's been kind of hard for us in Seattle to figure out where we fit in. Yeah. So wait, why is it a bust? Like schools are like, no, do not talk about squirting. Like, I mean, we- <laughs> like God, like, yeah, we wouldn't even put that on like a proposal <laughs> anywhere near that. It's like, I mean, for example, I am on um, the human trafficking board still at Seattle Children's and we have some of the top psychologist Alicia Thompson she is the head clinical psychologist ahead of the entire psychology program at Seattle Children's she's well known in the community Shaquita Bell runs um the one of the clinics at Seattle Children's she's a pediatrician she's huge and she runs the Odessa Brown Clinic I don't know if you've heard of that Mm -hmm. um it's a low-income clinic at Seattle Children's so they deal with a lot of trafficking she's a very well-known physician and in our last meeting um, a couple months ago before COVID, uh, they, they wouldn't even let us put educational services for domestic violence and trafficking on a, like, just like a flyer on the back of bathroom stalls in King County public communities or public high schools and middle schools, like why just is that? resources for domestic violence. Yeah. Why is that? Because then they're going to get questions from parents. And if we tell them about domestic violence, then they might be more likely to get in domestic violence. Blah, blah, blah. Nothing that's ever... Just fucking put them with the anti-vaxxers. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't support that here. Fucking information somewhere else. Yeah, they just just don't want to deal with it. They, they, They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with parents. They don't want to they have too much other shit that they want to do. It just, it's not a priority for them. And parents give a lot of pushback. So that's like, don't blame them. That's really upsetting because like whether or not you put that resource there, it's happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times kids like come in and they're like, yeah, my mom just thinks if they don't give me birth control, then I won't have sex. And like, how well is that working out for you and her? <laughs> No. Yeah. No, it's, I've talked about this on, um, another podcast. Like I, the idea that if you tell a kid about something that they're going to get into it Mm -hmm. simply because you educated them on ways to be safe Mm -hmm. or ways like other things that you could do besides that, um, it's just super old fashioned not helping anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the whole thing is we got to get over this fucking stigma about, um, thinking it's gross to think you're and sad to think your kids are having sex or your parents are having sex and just that feeling alone allows them to not want to talk about it and think that it's such a bad thing and I'm like your kids are having sex they're either getting beat as fuck while they're doing it <laughs> or you can tell them how to respect themselves and get be able to identify domestic violence relationships like I don't know they're having sex either way I don't know what to tell you <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like we should like educate them so they can make good decisions with the information that they have. Exactly. So you are getting some pushback in terms of schools for Mm -hmm. Women Against Taboos. Where are you guys having success in Seattle? Um, So I've completely, about maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I was like, I don't even want to, I'm not, I'm over it. I don't even want to try and get into schools because, and I was thinking about it, if we get into schools, I mean, countless and countless of like big nonprofit organizations have been trying to get into schools and haven't been able to successfully do it. And it's like, because everything is so regulated and I get it, 
why it's regulated, but it's regulated for poor reasons. And I'm like, okay, well, 75% of teens get their, any of their information online now. So I'm like, you're better off making a TikTok a week than to try and get into a school and blow up a condom. Like I don't, it, it, so it's just stupid to try and get into schools. Cause like, even if we get in, it's like, they're going to regulate what we say, what we're going to be able to teach. And I get it to an extent, but it's like, you know, God forbid you talk about pleasure and it's, I'm, I'm not going to get into a school and only talk about why sex is bad. Like that's never going to fly with me. So it was just like, why are we even trying? This is stupid. Most, the average age a kid sees porn in the United States these days is 10 years old. So fuck, let's start making some educational porns or some shit. Like we got to get more creative. We got to use the internet and we got to um, just be able to reach kids that way. So that's what we've been doing, which is COVID has really pushed me to get on to online education. Are you guys making a TikTok a week or what? <laughs> have not been making a TikTok a week, but have been making videos. Um, but so I've been trying to utilize videos more and the podcast and Thorn, um, a nonprofit just came out with a study that, uh, kids from I think 11 to 17 the most used social media is YouTube which I was I didn't realize YouTube was that big for kids so that's something that we're going to try and focus on so also educating parents um I educate a lot of parents online if they have questions about how do you talk to your kids about stuff so we've had a lot of success that way um but yeah so in terms of educational things that we're doing online is seriously the way of the future so that's what we're going to focus on yeah I think that's cool I mean I just admire what you guys are doing in general like aiming to reduce sexual stigmas and I like what you said about yes I mean there's some things that you need to know about sex that make it kind of scary but like you you can't have that conversation without mentioning pleasure too because like why does anyone do it what the fuck why are we here you know well it's like it's confusing to them and like, I swear, as soon as you tell a kid one thing that's not true, they're like, I don't fucking trust you. Like, you want to tell kids that people only have sex to make babies? They're going to be like, but my friend, but that kid, but that kid. <laughs> They're going to be like, do I, should I just never trust you for anything? Because clearly you're wrong. Well, think about like the society's messaging, you know, like in porn and media and music, like sex is great. Sex is dope. Like everybody's doing it. And then like you hear from your parents or church or Mm -hmm. school, the sex Mm -hmm. is bad. Like, yeah, what you're saying, I don't really trust that resource. Yeah. And they like just discovered masturbation. They're like, it feels good though. Yeah. Did you grow up with, um, I don't know, any weird, like, abstinence-only schooling or, like, you know, anything like that that's made you super passionate about, like, letting kids know, like, there is a good side to this. Like, sex mm-hmm. is good. Just be careful. Um, my mom is super open. So I've known, a, me and my brother have known about sex since we're like, where do babies come from? Uh, so everything was always... Um, open to us and like I said the word private parts earlier is like a kind of dry joke because I fucking <laughs> hate the word private parts um but it it was always like these are your testicles this is your penis and it was you know we would go to school and be like oh Johnny said penis was a bad word and my mom would have to sit us down and be like you know okay like explain why some parents think it's bad and whatever and so I was always like grow up 
being super comfortable about it and talking to my parents, my mom, not my dad, <laughs> talking to my mom about things. So it was just like, and by the time I got to sex ed class, I already knew all that shit. I was like, yeah. hey, but tell me something I don't know. <laughs> like my mom's already taught me all this because she is a good mother. <laughs> yeah, I think you're not one of the few, but I think like that didn't happen for everyone our age, you know, mm-hmm. like people didn't. Most of what people my age grew up with is like porn and then mm-hmm. like some weird sidebar from like yeah. sex ed in school. Wait, how was, old are you? I'm 27. Okay. I'm 25. So yeah, for real. Did like, you grow up with uh, abstinence programs? Um, No, but I grew up in a super religious family. And so okay. like I started asking about sex and my parents were like, oh, uh, we don't know you know and like the worst fucking place to get information about like anything like science or anatomy is from like your middle school friends like nobody fucking knows anything dude for real yeah for real they're like you can get pregnant from swallowing cum (laughs) i'm like your dad told you that because they're like Yeah, no, and it's all it's all wrapped up in parents just like being scared that like you can't handle making those decisions on your own. Mm-hmm. Um and so they're just not going to educate sure. you about it. They're instead going to be like, "No, don't worry about it at all. Ignore the whole thing. It's not it's not yeah. something that you should be concerned with." And not even to mention the like when you stigmatize sex like that, all of these kids that are being fucking molested are like, I'm not going to tell anyone anything because I had sex. Okay. And there were like, you were raped, right? Uh, trigger yeah. warning. Um, but it's like to them, that's sex still. And so now they think they're dirty. They think they've done something wrong. The blame's on them. God will never love me. Mom and dad will never, you know, I'm going to get in trouble, all of these things. And it was like, okay, if you would have talked to them about how I was like, have you even talked to them about rape? Like assault? Like, do they even know what that is? Probably not. <laughs> they probably saw something about the Me Too movement. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it's just, it's not helpful for anyone. Yeah. Have you had to deal like in your current or past jobs? Like what were some, I don't know, techniques that you used with like victims who come in who were like, I, this thing happened to me and I don't really understand it. Cause no one's ever talked to me about sex before mm-hmm. like at all. Um, a lot of them, I mean, understand is kind of a bold statement um they when I get the kids it's usually not after the initial assault it is usually after weeks or months or years of the effects of what the assault did so uh people coming in with major PTSD that now they have super bad depression and anxiety and paranoia and low self-esteem, um, and just like a lot of shame and guilt from their past. And so I usually get them when they're either psychotic, um, and, um, are unable to care for themselves. So trauma can put you into psychosis or they're so depressed that they want to die from it. And so a lot of times they don't really have a lot of questions in that case. They, um, they, they want someone to talk to about it and to be able to like cope and figure out reasons and learn why people do that, why their body was violated. And honestly, learning that they're not alone 
and that a lot of other people have gone through it because a lot of times they're like oh my god I'm weird I'm this I'm that I'm the only one that's gone through this I mean that might not be an active um, thought in their head but it's definitely something that they feel and so giving them a place to make sure that they're feeling safe um, and that they're feeling heard and validated is the absolute most important when dealing with um, any survivors of any kind of trauma. Yeah. Well, if anyone's listening that has had similar experiences that like needs resources, do you have any suggestions of places that they could go? Yeah. So um, Harborview has a sexual trauma clinic um, and that is one of the best resources. So they can get you set up with outpatient therapists, outpatient providers, um, all of that. I can actually look up their website information so that you can tag it. Um, but they are just super good at, they have all of their people there are trauma-informed care um, trained so that they don't re, um, uh, re-victimize victims. Um, <laughs> get into police officer talk. Uh, so that they are, they know exactly how to respond to you. They know exactly what resources they deal with this all the time. So it's like, um, a lot of times they're like, well, my assault wasn't that bad, or they didn't actually penetrate me with their penis. They fingered me or they forced me to do oral or whatever. It's like, that's still assault. And that's still like, that's still traumatizing and yeah. you still qualify to get services. Like it doesn't matter what the event was. If it was, if it is taking a mental toll on your life, it is big enough to get services for. Okay. So it's Harborview abuse and trauma center. Um, so if you just go to the Harborview website, um, it will pull you up, um, for a link for the abuse and trauma center. So that's where to go if you need anything. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely add that in the show notes. Um, what did you mean by re-victimization? Um, can you like speak on that? Yeah. Um, so trauma-informed care is basically how to, what questions to ask victims, how to respond when they say things to you or give you their story and what questions not to ask them. Example, girl just got raped. I think she was 15, 15 came in for a rape kit. So same nurses are sexual assault nursing examiners. And so they are always on call, but they, it takes them about an hour and a half to get to a hospital. So usually the police respond before they do, if they are, um, if they want to make a report, the problem with, they're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to get a sane nurse and a victim's advocate before you even talk to a police officer. This was in Reno when this happened, so I can't speak to Seattle. But so a police officer comes and asks them this question. What were you wearing? What were you doing? Were you under the influence? The most accusatory questions ever. I don't yeah. give a fuck what you were wearing. I don't give a fuck if you were under the influence. I do not give a fuck about any situation. Like, it's important to ask them how they feel, if they can tell them any information and just like constantly be validating. You have to ease up to it. I mean, I've seen police officers respond and tell of this 15 year old girl that uh, she shouldn't press charges because it won't matter anyways. 
Oh my God. And, or they, everyone has really strong opinions about, you know, if women or children wish to press charges or if they don't and fuck, I can see more reasons why you wouldn't press charges than why you would. Yeah. So, but a lot of, um, survivors get a lot of shame for not wanting to press charges. So oftentimes if you're not trauma-informed care, you think, oh my God, this horrible thing happens. We have to press charges. And it's like, yeah it's a, there's a big, you're open a big can of worms. Like it is a lot to give the survivor about these are your option. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. It's a lot after they've just been assaulted. Like there's a lot of training involved. So just coming in and telling them, yo, you should be pressing charges or you shouldn't be or whatever. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is her decision. (laughs) Everyone has different factors. They need to, this is a big decision if you want to press charges or not. So proper training and measures need to be in place we're gonna go through with that wow that's crazy so the trauma-informed care like what kind of credentials do you need to be in that kind of response um so trauma-informed care is just like uh it's just a form of training so like um you they have all different things so like alicia thompson who was uh the clinical psychologist of seattle children's uh psychiatry unit she is a trauma-informed care specialist so she actually took other uh phd level classes to get trauma-informed care um to be able to like oversee units nurses can get trained in trauma-informed care every psych provider is trained in trauma-informed care um any therapist, any social worker, caseworker, all all the things, a psychiatrist, they're all they're all um, educated in trauma informed care. Okay, so, but police that's not like part of police training. I mean, I know you're not, not an expert in police training. But no, it is not. It seems like they should work more in conjunction with those trauma informed providers in a situation yes. like sexual assault. Yes, for sure. So we um like one of the things that's happening in a lot of places but including Seattle is like we don't, we don't want the police to respond at all, um, because if the person has a victim's advocate that is, uh, it's boarded to by the state or a big nonprofit in the area, um, so you would have a victim's advocate and um, a sane nurse as well, and then a sane provider. So like um, whether that be an emergency care provider or um, a child abuse provider, so a doctor, senior care. So, and if they want to press charges, you can just call, you can call the police officer, um, whatever line, and you can make a report that way. Like they don't need to be responding. So my thing is like, okay, get trained in trauma-informed care and do the six months retraining like we all do, or don't show up. Like pick one <laughs> I mean I'm yeah. like don't show up because we have it we have it under control we can just freaking call you like we don't need you here so I, I don't want anyone involved that is not trained you say one wrong thing and you can just completely tank these people so it's just like we just need better training or bye <laughs> yeah <laughs> find something else to do <laughs> so is women against taboos interested in like pushing for that you know that like is that like a random thing on your agenda of like getting, if police force has to be involved, can you be more like educated about sexual health and stigma? Yeah, I mean, based on the state of 
what the world's in right now, there is, that is part of defunding the police movement. Um, That is part of the argument. That is not something that Women Against Taboo is going to be involved in. Um, There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen with the whole police thing. My thing is um, encouraging sane nurses um, and kind of giving them a lot more autonomy of like, you show up, this is your patient. If you don't want people in the room, if you don't want a police officer, they don't have, they don't get to just be in the room and like understanding the patient's rights more, but being able to really push for it, I think is um, where, I think is where people need to intervene for right now until we can figure out the other situation. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of an extension of your nonprofit, Women Against Taboo, you have the podcast, Talk Taboos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell us about your experience with that. How's it been starting a podcast? Like, Yeah, I've been doing it for a few years now. Um, I'm pretty inconsistent with it. I like, everyone's like, you got to be consistent. You got to do this. I'm like, when I started the podcast, it was because I was in nursing school and I wasn't able to travel around the country speaking at colleges anymore. And because I was constantly in school, obviously it's, um, very like taxing. So I started the podcast so I could educate that way. So we have a bunch of different ways that we educate. And so I really use the podcast as destigmatization of, um, any like sexual taboos also with some education. I definitely have educational resources on there as well, but it's not for, um, at least at this point right now, it's not for like entertainment for the like long-term like that's not what we're like pushing to like blow up it's just like another form of education for us um I really enjoyed it um it's been a lot more difficult now that I'm in Seattle because I was really immersed with this sexual health sex therapy field in Reno so I had a lot more people to contact about um coming on the podcast and professional opinions and all of that um, so since I moved to Seattle, it's been a lot more, less educational and more destigmatizing. Um, but it's been fun. I really like it. I like, um, I don't really like Zooming as much <laughs> no. as like people in person, you know, because it's just like so much more of an experience when you can talk to people in person. I totally feel that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, so your your like bio for Talk Taboo basically says sexual taboos, like you're saying, restigmatization, and also having experts from the sexual health industry. So what's been your favorite episode or like your favorite topic that you've tackled? Yeah, I mean, Sherry Aiken is always going to be my favorite episode. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to get her on again, but I want her to come in person. So um but we really talk about the differences, I did that one so long ago, I can't even remember, um, the differences in arousal cycle for men and women and how that looks differently and like the desire response cycle. So I think that one, and Cherry is just like a load of information. Um, so that one I really enjoyed. Ooh, can um, you tell us about the arousal cycles? Yes. Real quick, a little Reader's Digest version. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of how I can... Uh, do this kind of quickly it's pretty lengthy okay (laughs) I am I actually have a video one of my 25 days of sex is on the arousal cycle the sexual response cycle so I would recommend going and listening to that that's about like 10 minutes long (laughs) so of like explaining like the differences in arousal between men and women 
Okay, well, that's a good segue. So let's talk about your 25 days of sex that you're doing on Instagram. Yeah. Um, wait, what do you want to know about it? <laughs> well, you you mentioned before that, you know, when you were working in like gynecology office with a sex therapist, like she helped you with some of these like programs. You kind mm-hmm. of put it all together right into 25 days of yeah. sex. Yeah. So like, what is it? And why was it not until like day nine that you start touching yourself? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I, my biggest issue is like me personally in sex is I can orgasm like a motherfucker if I'm masturbating, but as soon as I'm with a partner, it's very hard for me. And so I have, I mean, I think everyone, unless you're in a relationship right now, you're like experiencing a dry spell, holla Mm -hmm. COVID-19. Yeah. Thank you, COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm like, "Mm, we're all not getting our needs met. Um, But so I was like, what a perfect time to like focus on myself because we just shut down again. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, what if I did like a 25 days of sex, like 25 days of Christmas. (laughs) And so I started it and I originally was just going to do it for myself. So basically it's like you make a goal and each day you're doing an activity or journaling or something about um, your sexual experience. So I like guide you through um, a certain uh, like project to do that day or like an intervention that you can do and then um at the end you've hopefully learned a lot about yourself learned a lot about sex and um have gotten closer to your goal so I had posted a thing on my Instagram was like okay I'm making this 25 days of sex challenge for myself to increase my own sexual pleasure would you want me to share it and it was like almost everyone said yes share it so I was like okay so I started making videos um changed it around a little bit because not everyone's gonna have the same goal as me mm-hmm. um but the w- reason why I didn't you don't really start touching yourself till day nine is sex is everyone wants every woman wants orgasms and every man just want to ejaculate <laughs> it's all about the end it's true (laughs) yes that's the messaging we receive it's like it's all about like getting to the finish line exactly exactly so I think people are like just tell me how to fucking orgasm like where do I touch what do I do blah 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 I'm like I wish it was that easy but sex is really all about incorporating all parts of yourself so like I based 25 days of sex on a biopsychosocial model so um anything biology so like um obviously physical health and physiology and then um psych is all about your psyche repairing your relationships uh healing from trauma being able to be comfortable in yourself feeling whole in yourself before you can um experience great sex with another person and then social, being able to communicate and using, you know, all your social skills, people around you, resources in order to achieve that. So a lot of, like, I laugh because people come in, used to come into sex therapy with Sherry Aiken couples and be like, we really need to work on our sex. And you don't talk about sex the entire time. And the reason that is part of the desire response cycle, but People, if you if you don't want to have sex with someone, so including your husband, your wife, your whatever, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, partner, 
there's something wrong. Like it's usually not sex. I say biopsychosocial because there are things like you can take an antidepressant, all of a sudden you lose your sex drive. You could have cardiac issues so you can't get hard. So there are is instances where it's not all psyche, but it's a whole component. So if you're constantly, think about your last relationship. Like if you are constantly mad at that person or you're irritated or annoyed or disgusted, you don't want anything to do with them. They're like, why doesn't my wife want to fuck me? I'm like, because you're fucking gross. You don't pick up the kids from school. (laughs) You fucking never make your own goddamn meal. You don't know how to unload a fucking dishwasher. You know, it's never about actually sex. It's about everything else in life. Yeah. But with that being said, it also comes from, you know, you need to be able to be comfortable in your own body. You need to know your own body. You can't teach someone how to get you off if you don't know how to get yourself off. So, so true. it's analyzing a lot of different areas of your life. And a lot of things usually need changing that are not actually in sex in order to improve your sex life. So we really get into all of that stuff too. That's really interesting. Yeah. I don't, I mean, there's all these like pillars of sex that you're mentioning, right? Like your psyche, your, your physical health, your emotional health. I don't know if people always think of like sexual wellness as being like one of those pillars. Yeah. I mean, it's a full, it's a full on person thing, you know, anytime you're depressed or like, I see a lot of kids with eating disorders, no sex drive, you know, it's like all these things are going to interfere and impact what is going on in your sex life. So it's, you really have to get it from all angles in order to really improve. (laughs) Interesting. So what are some techniques that a sex therapist uses? Like you mentioned, like they'll go the whole session without talking about sex. Like what are some ways or like exercises that they use to improve sex that aren't related to sex? Like, do you have any examples? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, like I kind of used in 25 days of sex is uh, like five love languages. I think that's like the least watched video of my 25 days of sex because people are like, that's fucking boring. It seems super. Everyone go watch Taylor's (laughs) love language video on our 25 days of sex. I love that shit. That's just so important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Wait, what, what were we talking about? Sorry. Oh, uh, techniques that a sex therapist oh, yes. uses. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's mostly just therapy techniques. It's about problem solving and being able to communicate. That's like the biggest thing is being able to communicate. And so I think when you talk about techniques that sex therapist uses, it's different for every person. It's different for every couple. It's like, what is your biggest issue? And really like diving into the problem of, do you not want to have sex? Like what is the issue? Because there's so many different kinds of issues that you can have in a sex life. So I guess it's just mostly therapy tactics that improve the relationship or the person as a whole, which then sex follows. Yeah. Well, it's so true. When you feel good about yourself, you're confident. Mm -hmm. You like when you're being the best version of yourself, you do the right thing. And Mm -hmm. that is super sexy to your partner exactly (laughs) confidence is sexy yeah it is um so what are some things um I mean you could share like stuff from your 25 days Mm -hmm. of sex what are some things that we can do to grow in our own sexual wellness with ourselves yeah I think the biggest thing is being comfortable with your body and knowing what feels good because I think it's different for 
like if you identify as a man or a woman, or if you don't either of those things, but you have a vagina or you're in a homosexual relationship or you're in a heterosexual relationship or you're in an open relationship, like so many things are so different for everybody. But I think that the number one thing that people struggle with is not even knowing themselves, but then two, being terrible at communicating. It's like, I can't even explain express my frustration <laughs> when chicks are like how does he not know that I'm mad and I'm like <laughs> because you didn't fucking tell him and he's a fucking idiot and he has less neurons and his problem solving and communication and social aspects of his brain that's why <laughs> you gotta spell that shit out <laughs> look at his brain under an MRI and then look at yours it's different <laughs> so <laughs> it's like people are like and, and I'm guilty of it too. It's like, I do know what makes me feel good, but I'm terrible at communicating it. And it's something that we're not taught how to do. And it's something that makes us feel com- uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's crazy to me, but also it makes so much sense that you have sex, you do the nastiest things, but God forbid you talk about it. <laughs> like, That's so true. Or like how... How do you talk about it? Nobody gives you a script, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've personally lately been trying to work on my dirty talk during sex because like, it's very, it's very uncomfortable, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I watch porn on mute. I I don't know what people are saying. Fair. I watch porn on mute too. (laughs) I do. I hate hearing it. I hate hearing it. I'm so glad that you feel that way. Cause yeah, people are like, what? And I'm like, the I think it's the performative pleasure aspect of porn. Like, I don't know if she's actually enjoying it, but they're like, (laughs) (laughs) it's just so annoying. Like, I just, yeah. Porn is made for dudes, you know, and they like, they're visual and they like to hear and we're more like, we can think of like our fantasies and our scenarios in our head better than they can. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. we're more like, let me just see a little bit and leave the rest of time. I'm so visual. Yeah. I don't need the audio. And I actually know some guys that are like, I could do audio only and be fucking. Yeah. Fun. Fair. So yeah, I think dirty talking is hard. And I, um, one of the days when I, I think it was called like prepare to communicate on 25 days of sex. It's all about like, okay, how can you, Tell your partner your needs, what feels good, but it sounds sexy and it doesn't sound like <laughs> fucking, <laughs> you're like a control freak and you're like, do that, do this, do this, yeah. do that, blah, 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 And it's like, how can you say that and like be sexy, you know, and like use the sexy voice, but also communicate. So I think that is like the bridge that a lot of us need. Yeah, I need to watch that video. Um, Because it's just like, it's, it's being comfortable with yourself. It's being like, okay, to like, if you sound fucking ridiculous, like, Mm -hmm. whatever you're saying, yeah, obviously, outside of the context of sex, you're gonna sound stupid. Like, it's weird. (laughs) But like, it's that being comfortable with your partner, you know, like to to say those things. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, for sure. That's been something I've worked working on. Um, is being like more comfortable like communicating with your partner yeah or just like not being like I feel like sometimes I don't know if I've like tried to exercise saying something sexy it's so cringy I'm like oh my god if somebody heard me say that that's so embarrassing but it's probably because you are not confident in it like that's why like I'm gonna say it and like it's I almost think of it like as a sales pitch (laughs) and I say that lightly because I think that a lot of us heterosexual people with vaginas we sell too much shit in bed 
It's like, I'm going to be the best fucking blow job that you're ever going to have. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then be like, end up at the end, be like, where was my orgasm? Oh yeah. I was selling it to you and I forgot to sell it to myself. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like when you're dirty talking, it's almost like you need the confidence of like, you need to sell this. Like you need to sell that. If I tell you to move a little bit to the left or touch me here, touch me there, that like, that is going to get me off. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just about like selling it, you know? Yeah. It's shamelessly too. Yes. Shamelessly too. Like you're not embarrassing. Like you have a connection with this person clearly because we got to this point. So yeah. Do you have any tips for, Oh, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say that I really encourage, especially girls that are in like my situation um, of not being able to orgasm with partners, uh, <laughs> like practice without being with a partner. So like practice, have a few lines that you say like, and practice <laughs> them in the mirror or like practice them when you're masturbating or whatever that may look like. So that when you actually get in into it with a partner you're like this is in my brain practicing for this and you feel more confident when you've been practicing it's like yeah practicing for like a speech or something like you feel way more confident when you practice and you know what the fuck you're talking about than if you're just like present the speech good luck you know (laughs) totally do what are your some some of your phrases can you share with us um I encourage positive reinforcement okay it's the behaviorally uh, it is the number one way to change behavior. So, um, it's like, don't moan and don't arch your back and be like, blah, 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 if it doesn't feel good, Yeah. because then you are positively reinforcing something that doesn't feel good. And he's going to keep fucking doing it. And you're going to be like, why does it keep doing it? I'm like, cause you're moaning through the whole goddamn thing. Like, Oh, pick and choose. So yeah. I always like to say like right there, that's the spot or even just like some physical prompting, you know, like moving here, moving there, or like, um, it's really sexy when you insert whatever, um, focusing on things that I do like Mm -hmm. that they're doing instead of what they don't like. Because if you, it's, it gets a little slippery slope a little bit when I say, don't tell people things you don't like, because you're like, okay, well now we're talking about sexual assault and like sticking up for yourself. But I'm talking about consensual relationship. You guys are both doing, you're having fun. It's everything's consensual. You're not worried about that in any aspect. When you tell people like, oh, I didn't really like it when you do that. Yes, you can do it. And I encourage people that are really, really close to one another to say things like that. But if you're first starting out, saying that you didn't like something, one is not going to be able to, he's going to be like, okay, great. But like, what do I do though? Yeah. Like you still don't know what to do. So you need to, if you're going to say that you don't like something, then you need to give it a replacement behavior. You don't eliminate behaviors, you replace them. So you need to be like clear. So that's why positive reinforcement is better. But also when you say you don't like something, it's more likely that they're going to feel shameful about it or embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I can't like, believe I did Lose that. confidence or something. Yes. So that's yeah. why positive reinforcement, it keeps the conversation positive and they're more likely to do it again if you give someone positive praise. I think it was um, the comedian Nikki Glaser. I'm pretty sure it was yes. her. She like had she has a joke about uh, 
some some guy in her past told her she was like the best at giving blowjobs and mm-hmm. so she was like I fucking worked at that I was like oh you love this like yes, I, I, I put my I put my heart into it but the second you say second you tell me something to do differently I'm like nope fuck it I hate that I yeah blow job not a blow fun I'm done working for today yeah for real <laughs> so she's like guys if you want a good blow job you tell her she gives the best she'll put yes. her heart into it she's gonna just fucking put <laughs> everything into that shit positive reinforcement it works leave it on the floor that's hilarious so we kind of talked about like how to improve sexual wellness in ourselves but how do we improve our sex life with others once we've kind of gotten the first part down like we're confident we've practiced Mm -hmm. positive reinforcement like what about outside of sex like what are some things that we can do to make our sex lives better like but outside of sex with a partner yeah just, so, like besides like building trust, you know, like what else can you do? Like maybe some activities or something to like yeah. build intimacy. So <laughs> we always, I don't remember who said it, but some brilliant sexologists now they all say it, including myself. Um, foreplay starts after the last orgasm. So that being said is like, as soon as you're done having sex and you're like going on with your life sex should be something that you build up to throughout the day as well. Not all the time. Don't get me wrong. No one has fucking time for that shit all the time. <laughs> we're busy. We got, we're strong, independent women. We got shit to do. I got to fit you in. Um, but it's like, you can send messages throughout the day, send um, like, just like sexy pictures. If you don't want to send sexy pictures, just send like, even like a funny meme, anything that like makes them feel good about themselves and also being able to communicate that love language because that you're going to meet them on the love language that they understand so that they're going to feel better so that they're going to want you more. Mm. And part of that is figuring out who they are communicating. And, um, you know, if, if two couples are both quality time, then focus on quality time focus on that. So I really do think it's different for every single couple. You have to figure out what each of you needs. And if you can meet those needs outside of the bedroom, then you're more likely to meet the needs inside the bedroom. Mm, That's some good advice. (laughs) Know each each other's love languages. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think that everybody listening is going to seriously benefit from these suggestions. Um, back good. to like masturbating real quick. Do you have any yeah, like, like I <laughs> love it. Any <laughs> actual advice for women who are struggling to reach orgasm? Even, including in masturbation? Yeah. Like in masturbating, like how can I help myself better? You know? Yeah. Like, so um, the next, well, the past two days and the next four or something in the 25 days of sex is all about masturbation. So it's really about learning your body and learning the structures of your body. So one thing that is really miscommunicated to people with vaginas is where your clit is and the whole, like when you think of a clit, you think of your clitoral bulb, like the top right above, you know, the like most right under the hood, the little yes. tic tac. <laughs> yes. Like everyone's like, that's where your clit is done. That's not the only place that the clit is. Your clit goes all the way down both sides of your vaginal opening. So 
a lot of women, like I talked in the arousal cycle, will skip phase two. And phase two is the plateau phase. And that is for vaginas, it's you're already wet. So just because you're wet doesn't mean you're like ready for dick. <laughs> um, it's you're like, congratulations, you've hit the first stage. You got a whole big longer stage to go. Yeah. Um, but so the clitoral legs that go around your vaginal opening will actually swell with blood, which will make the vaginal opening more narrow. So if you wait, so if you're doing clit play, if you're doing G-spot or whatever you're doing, even when you're masturbating, if you're using toys, your hands, whatever, you really want to wait and get all the way until those clitoral legs are completely filled and engorged with blood before you do any kind of insertion. Most women don't even masturbate with anything up their vagina anyways. So if you're not even trying to do that, then you can focus on your clitoral bulb, like under the hood, but it's like, you can press in different spots and get it from different areas. Also, um, other androgynous areas, like your asshole, it's still connected to your arousal cycle. You still have neurons that are connected to the sexual response cycle, your nipples, your ears, all the these structures are all connected. So even touching them on yourself, like putting lube on your nipples, putting lube other places, like just really getting into the full arousal is going to be the most beneficial way to actually have an orgasm. All the erogenous zones. Yes. The erogenous zones. I so love- yeah, I think, um, I think toys are great. Uh, I do encourage people to use toys sometimes and not use toys other times because you can get desensitized to the vibrators. Mm -hmm. Um, and like we're working on in 25 days of sex is really mimicking things that you do in the bedroom. So if you only orgasm with a vibrator and then you try and go orgasm with just finger stimulation with a partner, it's going to be a lot harder. Your body's going to be like, it's a finger and (laughs) no, it's going to be like, I've never experienced anything great from that. Why do I care? You know? And so you really want to mimic what's going on in the bedroom, but also use your toys, have fun, change it up. Just don't do the same thing every time. Yeah. It's hard because sometimes you're like, I found something that worked. Why would I stop? (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's so great. I found like the magic combination. I don't want it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's interesting. You mentioned desensitization with a vibrator. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I have this weird, like I've like married masturbation to porn. Like I have a really, really hard time masturbating if I have no porn. Okay. So that's something I've been working on is trying it without, like, it's hard, but yes. I feel like I'm, I'm breaking, I'm breaking down the walls, you know? Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually, I think yesterday's challenge was if you use porn, don't use porn. Um, it's one of the biggest reasons for erectile dysfunction in young men. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't even think about that. You're so, right. Because little boys, like they're starting at 10 and mm-hmm. they're getting so used to like, popping right up when they see something sexy yeah and the thing they're also getting uh over um overstimulated so they're increasing your threshold for stimulus so you know they get on porn and i think it in my video the other day i'm like yeah you can fuck an asian chick you can fuck a blonde with fake tits up the ass then you can gang bang then you, you know you fucking name it and that's all in one ejaculation cycle yeah. One. All in like but 10 t- seconds available scrolling, at your fingertips. Scrolling, scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the biggest tips too is if 
like don't scroll <laughs> but like fuck it's hard yeah. it's like what do you mean don't scroll but look at all this shit you know <laughs> and uh, so it's then you get in the bedroom and you're like at, with an actual partner and you're like fuck this is so not as cool as that gangbang though you know it's like they can't hit the exact fantasy that you need them to and then they're like I need more stimulus in order to even get hard. Yeah. Or you're making this like real person that's in front of you feel inadequate. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things with that is women, God, I hate this so bad and I, and I get it, but when women feel like, okay, their partner can't get hard or it's even, it's a one night stand, whatever. And women are like, it's me, like they are not attracted to me, blah, 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 blah. Or it drives me up the fucking wall. They take it personally. And I've totally had those feelings. I've totally been there. And sometimes I still will have the feeling, but I'm like, it's not you. It's can you fucking stick 17 dildos up your asshole? Because that's what he was watching last night. <laughs> like, please don't feel inadequate for that shit. You know, yeah. it's like, there's yeah. so many other factors, not to even mention his own anxiety. If last time he had sex with someone, he couldn't get hard. So now it's like in his head. So it's like even more likely that he's not going to get hard. There's so many factors. Yeah. It's not- <laughs> yeah. Well, like, from a neuroplasticity standpoint, if you're someone who is so overly stimulated by porn, like it, you've increased your threshold, you know, you're like, fuck, I'm 25. I've been watching porn for 15 years. Mm-hmm. How do you correct that? How do you become, cause it's not that you're not attracted to your partner. You're just not used to this yeah. lack of stimulation. So like, how do you fix that? you stop watching porn. How do you change your brain? You stop watching porn. You do. Like I, everyone should read the book, um, your brain on porn by Gary Wilson. And I'm going to do a big podcast about it was already supposed to do it. Things happen. Um, but it is so awesome. He really goes into all of what it's doing to your brain from a neurological perspective, from a neuroplasticity perspective, and you can reverse your brain. And so part of the things that like I will tell boys or men that stop scrolling, first of all, so give yourself, okay, you know, depending on their intensity of their scrolling and how, how much they're using it, you might give them different parameters, but an example would be, okay, you can only watch five videos. So pick five or do the first five or put in your favorite category and then do the first five. but try with five and then you try with three and then you try, you know, you, you slowly lower the threshold because some men are, they've fucked up their threshold so much that they literally cannot get hard without porn. Like even if they're trying to masturbate, they would be like, I cannot get hard. And so you have to slowly lower that threshold. Um, and it's challenging, but that's, that's how you do it. <laughs> you wean off like any other drug. Yeah. You just got to taper down. Okay. Yeah. Well, if any men are listening and this sounds like you, you know what to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure women have that problem too. Like, you know, me, I'm, I'm For like, sure. I need it. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you watch porn once a day, then your body is considered addicted based on the way that the dopamine cycle is 
being yeah. um, carried out. So anything that you day. do once a day. Yeah. Were there and, like any interesting takeaways from that book? Um, your brain on porn of yes, how so, you could prevent this from happening to begin with? Like how parents can talk to kids. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, it sounds so simple, but literally the, the intervention is don't do it and not stop having sex, start having sex and being able to utilize your brain. That's another issue too. I think for, especially for women who do primarily use porn is not only is it harder for us to come in during sexual intercourse anyways, but if you are so used to only seeing, you're not using your brain at all. And you don't even know how to use your brain in a sexual situation anymore. So you can't think of any fantasy and you, it's hard for you to focus and have that mindfulness of your body when you're so used to focusing on someone else. It's like, you have to channel that energy and become internal and you've got to start practicing utilizing your brain and it's not fun it's hard to do it's a lot of fucking work you're like I came home from work today and the last thing I want to do is work more no I want to get myself off and move on like I don't want to put effort into this and I'm like fine don't put effort to it but then don't complain when your shit doesn't work <laughs> Yeah, we're always growing, aren't we? Right? I know. Yeah. I know. I, I don't <laughs> think porn's bad. Like some people will be like, "Oh, you just hate porn." I'm like, "No, I watch porn. I love porn. I think there's a lot of <laughs> fucking issues with porn. Um, so but... many issues. We need more porn made for women, made by yes. women for women, for sure. So much more porn made for women. Just so many issues. But it can be a great thing if you're utilizing it well. Nothing is great if you consume it obsessively nothing can't think of one thing that's great for you if you consume it obsessively and porn is just another one of those things so it's a great tool but it should not be what you rely on that's some good advice (laughs) so do you have any lasting comments that you'd like to make about I don't know like is there hope and like this like sexual education ending stigma (laughs) bullshit we're sifting through in life you know as young people Kids are, um, they're learning a lot. They're learning at higher rates than we were even growing up. God, I sound so old when I'm at work talking <laughs> back in my day. I'm like, holy shit. Um, they are learning so much. And even though they're learning so much about sex, they are more confused than ever. Because not only are they getting so much information, but they're getting so much more false information than even they were before. Because before it was just like, oh, my friend said this. Now they're online and they're like, well, what the fuck's the truth? There's this, there's that, there's this. And um, I think that we really need to start focusing on each, everyone owning their own pleasure and owning their own experiences. I So many times it's like women and men have so many different issues and everyone tries to focus on um, like men and like how to make sure that she wants it and making sure they're not doing anything that's like predatory or whatever. But at the same time, you know, you have women on the other side that are not, guys are asking them, can I do this? And they're saying yes, but they don't want to. And it's not necessary. I mean, there's situations where coercion is totally in there, 
but a lot of them are like, they're just at, like, these boys are asking and the girls are like, I don't know what to say. And so they haven't been taught to have like boundaries. Yes. We need conversations on both ends. You can't just come at it from the boys. Sorry. A lot of feminists won't like that, but like, you can't just fucking nail it, put everything on them and tell them to fix it. Like we have our own issues too. We've come into their culture and have changed what we're doing which has just reinforced what they're doing. We have, we have things we need to change too. And so I, everyone has something that they can improve on and change. So I just encourage people to keep learning, keep asking questions and just keep discovering their body and their partners and never forget to communicate because most of the time, if something is wrong, it's because you're not communicating. Yeah. <laughs> effectively yeah effective communication builds trust which builds intimacy and uh yes. like learning you know learning a partner's love language I feel like is a great takeaway from this conversation for sure for yeah. sure yeah well thank you so much for being on this was rad you guys the power of the internet I just like found Taylor on Instagram and I was like <laughs> hey seriously come on <laughs> fucking bitterfly I just started this <laughs> That's so awesome. I haven't even been able to listen to any of your podcasts. I'll listen to one tonight. I always listen to podcasts before you go to bed. I definitely recommend the, it's, I think the ninth episode, I called it Vibin because it's about female masturbation and porn. It kind of mirrors a lot of like the things that we talked about today. Um, and Perfect. yeah, I had such a fun time talking about that. I feel like I told the world way too much about myself and my porn habits, but that's okay. It's, I know it's kind of rough. <laughs> I realize I share way too much about myself on social media. Yeah. And I'm kind of just like, I don't really give a fuck though. Like yeah. the only people that I actually care that sees it was one, my dad. And now it's like, it's so funny because we've come so far. My dad's so conservative. Oh, and yeah. the other day he called me. I love the shock factor. I'm all about <laughs> shock factors. And so he called me. I'm like, oh, I'm editing my 25 days of sex video. I thought maybe you're calling me because you want to be in it. Like, uh, I'll pass this time. So then we have a conversation or whatever. And then he hangs up the phone. He's like, all right, good luck editing your sex video. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like, you get there. <laughs> it is so funny. I was like, yeah, dad, I did a female masturbation podcast episode. And he's also conservative. He was like, oh, cool. I'm almost like, this is going to be like the one time you start supporting my podcast, isn't it? You're going to listen. He's like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's like, okay. We'll pass on that. Okay, cool. But um, yeah, thanks so much for being on and talking yeah, about thanks like- thanks for having me. Totally. And everyone, if you want to check Taylor out on Instagram, her personal account is at I am Taylor Stafford. True. And if you want to check out her nonprofit foundation, it's at women.against.taboos, right? Yes. Yes. Women against taboo with dots in the middle. <laughs> dots in the middle. Okay. And um, yeah, you're just doing a bunch of great shit. So I support you and I appreciate you. Thank you. And I'm so excited to listen to your podcast and just yeah. like be able to follow you. Cause I mean, we just kind of met. So I don't like we know did. too much about you. We did. We're going to start this whole new like online relationship. Seriously. <laughs> I give the kids so much shit for this all the time. I'm like, have you even met them in person? <laughs> and now I'm going to do it. <laughs> yep. It's, it's basically what the pandemic has done. Us. so like Dude, it's fine so and we will meet in real life when this shit is over yeah for sure. well when this is over then you can come on my podcast i'm i might do some zooms with people but it's so much more fun i like bring champagne and wine and we get drunk if you're into that if you're not that's cool yes I will (laughs) yes no that sounds amazing I can't wait (laughs) it's more of like a hangout and also there 
we're recording it. Those are the best podcasts when it sounds like you're just kicking it with friends, you know, but it's in your ear and you're just like a fly on the wall. Exactly. Those are my favorite. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you once again. And um, everyone check out 25 Days of Sex on Taylor's Instagram. There is so much to absorb there. (laughs) Yeah, you're gonna need it. And um, okay, dude, thanks for being on once again. Have a good one. Thanks. (laughs) 